first precinct, Sergeant Waters. Yeah, where was this? Now, what, was he shot? Yeah. Yeah. He's dead, huh? Well, I gotta send the ambulance anyway to put out the POA. You are in the muscle room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. Yeah, all right. I'll make a notification. You just sit tight until the detectives get there. Okay. Yeah. 21st Precinct. Just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. The 21st, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. I had been off duty since completing my night tour, and I was not due back on the job until 8 the following morning. At midnight, the 12 to 8 platoon was turned out by Lieutenant Gorman, the desk officer. After the 55 men who had patrolled the streets of the precinct during the night marched out the front door of the station house, a quiet settled over the muster room. For the next 15 or 20 minutes, the quiet was broken occasionally by the men of the 4 to 12 tour coming into the station house singly and in pairs to go off duty. Each saluted the desk as he passed through and route to the locker room to change to civilian clothes. Then as the men reached their posts and began to ring in on the 22 police call boxes scattered throughout the precinct, the telephone switchboard manned by Sergeant Waters started to hum at intervals. First Precinct, Sergeant Waters. Patrol on Farrow, Box 11. Okay, Farrow. There's a body of a man on the loading platform of the laundry over here. Yeah? It looks like he was shot, Sergeant, once right between the eyes and again in the chest. Where is that? Well, it's the Sunningdale Laundry, 672 East 80th Street. Under the loading platform? That's right, sir. It's open to the street. I went in there to try the freight door, and I saw the feet sticking out from under the platform. At first, I thought it was a drunk, and then I put my light on his face. Is the weapon there? No, sir, I couldn't find any weapon. What, is he a bum? Oh, he looks pretty well-dressed to me, Sergeant. He's a man of about, oh, 65, 70. All right. Get back on the job. I'll send someone right over there. Yes, sir. Lieutenant. Yes. That was Farrell ringing in. He's found a body of a man under the loading dock of a laundry at 672 East 80th Street. He thought it was a drunken place. Yeah? So the man was apparently shot twice. Once between the eyes and again in the chest. No sign of a weapon. All right. Jimmy, communications bureau on here. You notify the detective. Yes, sir. Okay, Lieutenant. Hello, CB. Lieutenant Gomez, the 21st. We've got what looks like a homicide at 672 Stadium Street. No, it's a gunshot, apparently. Sergeant Waters on T.S. by Sally. Yes, Sergeant. The patrolman on post reports a homicide at 672 East 80th. Yeah, we'll take care of that, M.C. The loading dock of the laundry there. All right. Did you say 672 or 622? 672. Okay, Sergeant. Thank you. Yeah. Who 
stretching upstairs, Sergeant. Good by Charlie, Lieutenant. Give me a line on here. I want to notify the skipper. Yes, sir. Marble Hill. 
down close to Trenton. Uh-huh. Yes. Novak, Yes, Novak. Lieutenant King, this is Mrs. Audley. Mr. Burgess has been rooming at her house down on 23rd Street. How do you do, Mrs. Audley? Frankly, not so good. Won't you come in? To get away from the bazaar and be given such horrible news, rest your soul. Not so good. This is Captain Kennelly. Mrs. Audley? Hello. Shut the door, Novak. Stick around. Yes, sir. Do you have a seat, Mrs. Audley? Not so good at all. I'm sorry to get you up here, Mrs. Audley, but I'm sure you understand. Oh, yes, I understand. I'm sure you want to help us get to the bottom of this thing. Excuse me. Oh, yes, sure. 21st Squad, Lieutenant King. My tally, Lieutenant. Yes. That party from Jersey is ringing in on the straight line. All right, hold on to him. I'll be out there and take the call. Yes, sir. Captain, you want to come outside with me a second? Yes, sure, man. I'll be right back, Mrs. Audley. I have a very important telephone call. Oh, that's all right. Detective Novak will stay in here with you. He doesn't have to. The telephone answered at the New Jersey address, Captain. Oh, I'm this one, Lieutenant. Who is it on the phone, Lieutenant? It's the victim's son. He knows his father's dead. New Jersey State Trooper was waiting for him when he came home. He gave him this number to call. All right, I'll take it. Hello, this is Lieutenant King, commanding the 21st Detective Squad in New York. Yes, I understand. It was a state policeman waiting here when I came home. He told me my father died. Yes, that's right. We've been trying to reach you for some time. Well, there wasn't anybody here. My wife's visiting in Philly, and I worked the night shift at the assembly plant here. Are you sure it's my father? Is your father about 70 years old, five foot five or six, bushy gray hair? Yeah, that's him, all right. We'd like to have you come to New York, Mr. Burgess. We'd like to have you identify him. You want me to come there to the 21st Precinct? You know where it is? Yes, that state trooper gave me the address. Oh, good. We should get here as soon as possible. We're conducting an investigation. What kind of investigation? The man we're talking about was murdered. Oh, was he? Yes. So get here as fast as you can, Mr. Burgess. Yes, as fast as I can. Yes, goodbye. Goodbye. Somebody's got to do it, man. Yes, sir. I guess they do. I'll be in my office for telling. Okay, Lieutenant. Why do you have any news on the alarm on that car? All right, Captain. Thank you. Sorry to have kept you waiting, Mrs. Audley. Well, that's all right. I was talking to this nice detective here. Well, Mrs. Audley, I understand Mr. Burgess has been roaming at your house for the last three weeks. More or less, yes. And all these years, I've never met a nicer gentleman. He was the last man in the world you'd think tragedy would fall to. The only tragedy we've had around there since my husband, the late Mr. Audley, died. Oh, Mrs. Audley, I... had a near tragedy once, a karate student. He hung himself with a neck in his room one night, but we cut him down in time. Well, I want to make sure we're talking about the same man, Mrs. Audley. The last I heard of him, the karate student, that is, he was back home delivering on a milk route and raising a big brood of kids. It shows you how good can come out of bad. Uh, do you know why Mr. Burgess had come to New York? Oh, yes to take treatment from a doctor. He was suffering from sciatica. Poor man. Did he have any particular friends that you know of? Well, not in the house, but he liked his nog and a beer. When he wasn't in the house or to the doctors, you could find him down at the bar and grill on the corner. When was the last time you saw him? Oh, about 8.30 tonight. Last night, that is. Is that when he left the house? Oh, no. He left the house sometime previously to go to the bar and grill. Hope you don't mind my mentioning the fact that he liked his nip. Oh, that's all right. The reason I mention it is because of my late husband. 
Poor man. He liked to drink, too. A pint of whiskey every day of his life, except the last, that is. He got hit by the streetcar too early in the morning to finish it. Well, if he had already left the house, Mrs. Otley, when was it you saw him last? Well, as I said, about 8.30. I happened to be looking out the window, and there came poor Mr. Burgess on his way home from the bar and grill. Just drugged him along, on account of his ailment, not the beer. He didn't return to the house? Oh, no, he got into the car. Whose car? His car, Mr. Burgess's. He generally kept it parked at the curb there. And drove away? Oh, no, he didn't drive. The other one did the driving. What other one? The one that was waiting at the car. A man? His son. Mr. Burgess, son? Well, that's what it looked like to me. His son, Carl. Let me get this straight. Mr. Burgess walked down the sidewalk toward the house, and when he got to his car, his son was waiting there? Well, it certainly looked like his son. Have you seen Mr. Burgess' son previously? Oh, yes, on two or three occasions. When he brought Mr. Burgess to move in, and once more, at least once more. You're positive it was Mr. Burgess' son? Absolutely positive. Well, I couldn't swear to it. But I'm absolutely positive. Absolutely positive. Listening to 21st Precinct, the factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. On September 24th, 1951, newspapers carried a minor headline that read, Three UN men capture Heartbreak Ridge. And the item, quote, After four unsuccessful assaults earlier in the day, a battalion that has suffered two-thirds casualties sent a platoon with only 13 men left against enemy positions on the peak. Three men finally reached the objective, and they were quickly reinforced, unquote. What connection does that news item have with you? Just this. Those men who reached the ridge and those men who fell trying were helping to write a code of conduct for all future United States fighting men, specifically Article One of that code. I am an American fighting man. I serve in the forces which guard my country and our way of life. I am prepared to give my life in their defense. Now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Tonelli. The first 24 hours in a homicide investigation are priceless to detectives. The memory of witnesses is short, and as each hour passes, the trail grows colder. Consequently, all off-duty detectives of both the Manhattan East Homicide Squad and Lieutenant Matt King's 21st Detective Squad were summoned from their homes. Paired off into teams of two, they sought out and spoke to every person known to have had contact with the homicide victim, Edward L. Burgess. By 7.30 in the morning, a good picture had been drawn of the last several days' life of Mr. Burgess, his background, his financial condition, his family, and his social life. I had gone downstairs to my office to change to my uniform, preparatory to turning out the platoon. Lieutenant King sat behind his desk, drinking a cup of coffee, waiting for his detective to show up with still another witness in the case. Come in. They got the car, Lieutenant. Burgess car and swear. In the 15th precinct, it was parked in the garage on First Avenue about midnight last night. An attendant was moving it to another floor this morning and noticed what he thought were blood stains on the front seat. He called the cop on the post. The cop remembered seeing the car and the alarms. Where have they got the garage attendant? At the 15th squad, Lieutenant. All right. Get that attendant in here. Send Whitey. Well, he's going to pick up that waitress okay. from the bar and grill. Oh, yeah, all right. Send Fitz. Yes, sir. I'm supposed to see Lieutenant King. Well, uh, I'm Lieutenant King. Oh, my name's Carl Burgess. We were wondering what happened to you, Mr. Burgess. Come into my office? Yeah, thanks. Sally. Right with you, Lieutenant. Go ahead, Mr. Burgess. Oh, thank you. 
manual of procedure specifically states that commanding officers must keep in constant touch with developments in all homicide cases. Consequently, after I had turned out the platoon at 8 a.m. and discussed a few matters concerning patrol of the precinct with the oncoming desk officer, Lieutenant Snyder, I went upstairs once more to the 21st Detective Squad where Lieutenant King filled me in on the latest developments. As I left the squad room and started back down to my office, Detective Novak was headed up the stairs with an attractive but slightly overdressed girl in her middle well, 20s. Well, I'm, I'm, what I'm doing here, I really don't. Hold it here, Kitty. Hello, Captain. Novak? You know the best people, don't you? Captain? Yeah. All right, go on. You really haven't any idea. Nobody's going to bite you. The lieutenant just wants to ask you a few questions. Waking me up in the middle of the night like this. It's 8 30 in the morning. Go ahead. For me, it's the middle of the night. Right over here. Where's squad? Detective Vitale. Sit right down here, Kitty. Right here? That's right. Well, I won't be able to make it today. We I'll go get the lieutenant. Up here last night. But there's nothing I can do about that. Yes. No, that, Lieutenant. I'll call you tomorrow. Yes, I like to. I've got the girl, Lieutenant, the waitress in the barn grill. How are you? Uh, that's her. Want me to bring her in? No, I'll talk to her out here. Yes, sir. What's her name? Kitty what? Kitty Crows. Oh, Miss Crows? I'm Lieutenant King. How do you do? You were working last night? Yes. Did you see Mr. Edward Burgess in there during the evening? Yes. What time was that? Oh, he came in early, about 7.30, quarter to 8. Did you serve him? Yes. If I remember correctly, he bought two bottles of beer. Was he alone or with someone? Oh, he was alone, all alone. Do you know Mr. Burgess very well? What do you mean? I mean, did you have frequent occasion to see him and talk to him? Oh. Yeah, he's been coming into the place every night on me. Yeah. As far as you know, he spoke to no one in the place last night. Not me. I served him. He said, hello, how are you? So far. You very busy when he was in there? No, we went to get off carry Who else was in the place? Ah, uh, well, there was a boss behind the bar. There was a strange couple at the bar people I never saw before. And who else? Mr. Burgess and his booth. And that's all? Well, there were more people in there, weren't there, Kitty? Think about it. I'm thinking. They weren't. All right, bring him in here. Lieutenant, this is Mr. Frank McLeese. How'd he do? The attendant at the garage where the car was parked. Oh, yes. Novak, you stay here with Kitty. Yes, sir, Lieutenant. Come into my office, Mr. McLeese. Uh, sure, sure. Anything you want. Uh, listen, do those really turn out to be bloodstains on the, uh, you know, on the car? The car's being examined now. Go on in, Mr. McLeese. Oh, thank you. I some deal I got myself in, huh? McLeese. Yeah. Do you think you could recognize the man who parked that car in your garage last night? Well... Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, I remember him, and I don't. Uh, I couldn't draw you a picture of him, but if I saw him again, I think I could identify him. Uh, you know what I mean? What time was it he parked the car? Uh, 11.55 p.m. We, we've got a machine with a time stamp. We put on the ticket so we know exactly what time they come in and what time they go out. Maybe you'll see that man before the morning is over. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, just a second. Uh, I wouldn't identify anybody without making positive first. Uh, you know what I mean? This could be serious. We know it could be, Mr. McLeese. What would you say he looked like? Could you give us a description? Well, he wasn't too tall a fellow. Not too short a fellow, either. Did you say about as tall as me or shorter? Uh, taller. A little bit taller. About how old? Oh, 
Do they have guns? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what they get? Yeah. Yeah. And so it goes. Around the clock, through the week, every day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh-and-blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring, or the brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the police department, city of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly, Ken Lynch is Lieutenant King. Featured in tonight's cast were Joan Loring, Abby Lewis, Harold Stone, Santos Ortega, Bill Smith, John Larkin, and Phil Sterling. Written and directed by Stanley Niss. Mark Hanna speaking.